if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah. We are back in Nehemiah chapter 8 today. i got to tell you, it is a good day to be here. It is uh, a challenging day yet again in the Harvey household. If you've noticed, I am only here with one child. What I thought was going to be a happy, healthy recovery has now turned into allergy issues in our house. So I've got uh, a few that are still adjusting to the climate change down here in Florida. So I'm uh, without a few, but my wife misses being here. She loves you all, and uh, she sends her warmest regards as she prays from us from home. Uh, as you know, with any time you're home with a sick child, uh, you do love your children. That is an amen, praise God, affirmation type statement. However, after being stuck in a house with sick kids now, uh, going on a little over a week and a half, uh, it is time to get out. And so, um, that is my wife's prayer request, is to be able to get out of the house. And so I've been trying to help her with that a little bit, and uh, so far so good. But she's missing being here today. Well, again, if you have your Bibles, we are in Nehemiah chapter 8. We are still walking through our study through Nehemiah uh, in our sermon series that we've titled Rebuild. Because what we see happening throughout the book of Nehemiah is a total rebuild, not only of the city of Jerusalem, but also of the people. So the great work has now been completed. Everything that we've seen uh, from Nehemiah chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7 into the first part of chapter 8, the work is now done. And so now we are in the second half of the book, which is where Nehemiah, along with Ezra, have now turned their attention to the hearts of the people. Because it's one thing to rebuild a city and restore a city back to glory. It's a totally different thing to rebuild a person's heart and restore it back to what we know as the glory of God. So in thinking upon our text today, I want to ask you this question. Have you have you ever taken the time, and I'm sure all of us have, so I know I'm asking a bit of a rhetorical question, but have you ever taken the time to simply pause for a moment and reflect back over your life? Now, some of us would say, yes, I call that retirement, and I think often on it. Uh, many of us are still in our careers. Some of us are later in the career. Some of us in the middle of our career. Some of us just getting started. Uh, I remember just the other day, my 11-year-old came to me, and she said, Dad, I have been thinking back over my life. And I had to pause her, and I'm like, what life are you referring to? As she was telling me her story of things that she remembers and reflects upon. But have you ever given much thought to that? Have you ever thought back over your life and just simply remembered? You know, I'm sure some of us, most of us probably have many fond memories over our life. Things that we can remember that make us smile, uh, that make us laugh. I imagine most of us, if not all of us, probably have some regrets uh, that we have in our lives, some things that if given the opportunity, we would probably go back and do differently or perhaps even wish for different outcomes. But often what happens when we remember is this, we become introspective and reflective and often a flood of memories rush back almost as if we were back in that moment. You know, I've been thinking a lot about my short life at this point because uh, by the wonderful works of social media, and I'm still determining whether or not that's wonderful, um, I am coming up on another class reunion. And so naturally, all of my friends from uh, high school have come out and they are planning and talking about what this next reunion is going to look like in the coming weeks. Uh, with that comes the subsequent 
uh, group reunion activities, if you will, uh, for those of us who were involved in different clubs, different organizations, different groups within the school. And so it's been fun to watch as people have posted uh, all these pictures and all these wonderful memories of a time gone by. And I got to tell you, every time I think back upon that time, I think of all that happened to us in high school. I think about uh, friendships, uh, friendships lost. Um, I think back to the celebrations and the triumphs that we shared together, and I also think about the regrets. But the reality is this, as you ponder your own life, I would say this of mine, that I wouldn't change anything about what I experienced. Because what I experienced, along with what we experienced from our history, has made us who we are today. So now we come back to our text here in Nehemiah. What we see happening here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is we see the word come back up again as a central part of what is happening. Now in the first 12 verses of Nehemiah chapter 8, we see the people calling for the book of the law. They are calling for the word of God. So now we find them in verse 13 coming back to the word in order to understand not only God himself, but the word of God itself. And they've come back to the word of God to help the people remember, but not simply for the sake of remembering and reflecting on a time gone by, rather to remember for a greater purpose or a greater reason. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 13. And as you go there or find that spot and you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Now, this is Nehemiah writing. In Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, he writes, And on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, or Joshua, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here, to be in this place, and to worship you. Now, Father, we ask and pray that you would be with us as we study your word. God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for the truth that you have for us today. Lord, I pray that as we come to a time here in Nehemiah of remembrance, Father, may we remember fondly of days gone by, and through it all, may you and you alone be glorified. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you. And now we pray, God, that you would be with us as we worship you through the study of your word. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, just to give everyone a reminder of where we are in Nehemiah, the wall is officially complete. The temple itself has now been rebuilt, and the very next step was for homes to be restored. And so now, all of a sudden, God's people were being set apart. They had called for the word. They got the word according to Ezra, and then they were encouraged by the word, both with Ezra's reading of the word, but also under Nehemiah's leadership. And so now we find a second gathering for the purpose of reading the word and to understand the word, but ultimately to remember. And so the question for us today is this, what exactly are the Israelites remembering? What are they trying to understand and why are they taking the time to remember? Well, we start clearly in verse 13 that they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. This could also be the study of the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. Now, Torah itself means law. And so oftentimes, to be completely honest with you, when people think about studying the Word of God, they often overlook the first five books of the Bible. This would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. People often look over these books and overlook them when it comes to studying them because they believe that these books are nothing but law books. Now, it is true that the first five books of the Bible have a lot of laws in them. However, there is still more of a story within these books that would set up what would come in the coming of Jesus Christ that we would ultimately see in the Gospels. And so the first five books of the Bible should be studied and not skipped. You see, for the people in Nehemiah's day, the reading of the Torah was simply designed to win the hearts of the people back to Christ and back to God and back to his word. Here we read the words, and the heads of the father's houses had gathered with Ezra and the Levites. And they had gathered for what ultimately amounted to a very large Bible study or a very large church service, if you will. Now, it was important for the fathers to be commanded to be here because it was the heads of the household or the fathers who were commanded to teach the word of God to their household based on what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. So you see these men who had gathered together, gathered to come and study the word of God so that they in turn could then go back to their homes, go back to their households and begin to teach the word of God so that their families would understand the word of God. Now I've got to tell you for us today. The Bible here is not trying to throw away the importance of women. You see, the reality is women are vital to the church. Women are helpers and supporters and leaders within the church. And we see this throughout the Old Testament and also the New Testament. But I believe the Bible knew that the men within God's kingdom needed a good kick in the pants every now and then. 
In fact, I bet if we were honest, and I just had this conversation with somebody earlier this morning, have you noticed this? When women catch a cold, they continue to do what it is they need to do. When, amen. Yes, I hear you. When men catch a cold, and I am guilty of this, we are done for three days. I mean, really, we are. It is, it is all of a sudden, call the doctor, call the emergency room. We are not going. Have them come to us. And that's what it becomes. Well, this is the same thing we see throughout scriptures. It's the men who constantly need the encouragement. It's the men who constantly need the conviction. Remember the story of Genesis. Yes, the serpent deceived Eve, but it was Adam who was standing right next to her. Don't lose sight of that. You see, what we have here is another example of where men need to step in and do their God-given role. Just like last week, we see that there are more men who are needed to teach. And so this week, we now see why men are needed to teach because it should be important to the men to study the Word of God together so that they can in turn teach, encourage, equip, and edify their families. You see, it's why when we get to the New Testament and it says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church, it doesn't simply mean that they have a higher order than women. What it does mean is that men are called to love their wives the same way Christ loved the church and sacrificially gave his life for her. Men, are we teaching the word of God? Are we studying the Word of God for the purpose of understanding the Word of God? Men, do not neglect what it is that you have been commanded by God to do. And this is a command for all heads of households, all men. You see, all are created and called to study the Word. All are created and called to lead our families in the study of the word. And then when the head of the household, the male, is not present, then it falls on the woman as well. You see, all of us as adults are called to understand the word. All of us as adults are called to study the word so that all of us as adults can faithfully teach the word to our children. That is the responsibility of every person here. It's not just simply a parent's responsibility. It is the responsibility of every adult that a child encounters. We are responsible collectively as a family to seeing to the spiritual upbringing of our children. And so the question is this, how are we doing when it comes at leading our families? How, is it come, how are we doing when it comes to leading our children? Maybe the reality is this, maybe instead of asking ourselves that question, maybe, maybe we should be the ones who turn to our families and say to them, how am I doing at leading you spiritually in the home? Maybe we need to look at our children and our grandchildren and ask this question, how am I doing as your, as your husband or your father or as your wife and your mother or as your grandparents or aunts and uncles, how am I doing at leading you spiritually and pointing you back to Jesus Christ? You know, here's the question. If we were to ask that of our families, would we be embarrassed by their response? 
If we were to ask that of our children, would they be terrified to respond to us because they know we would not like the answer even though we need to hear the truth? Or maybe, just maybe, maybe we would be encouraged by that answer because we have been leading faithfully. We have been leading well. You see, the reality is what Nehemiah and Ezra are trying to address here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is the same issue we see in the New Testament church. It's the same issue we see today in the American evangelical church. You know, um, just to point this out, a week ago I had a wonderful conversation with a wonderful member of ours who shared with me that 25 years ago he stood right here at the same platform calling out the men to teach, calling out the men to step up and faithfully understand the word of God so that they could then pass on to the word of God to a younger generation. In fact, I love the way he said it. He said it this way, we need more hairy legs and hairy faces to teach our young men. That's a great way to put it. Where are we, adults? Where are we men when it comes to leading our family. You see, there is a responsibility that is being neglected and it needs to be corrected. Now, parents, parents and grandparents, many of us would say, well, I don't necessarily know that teaching our children the word of God is necessarily that important. I don't necessarily know if teaching our children about worship and about service and about sacrifice, I don't know if that's important. Well, consider this study for a moment, if you would. A few years ago, a study was done of all death row inmates here in the United States, and they found that within all the inmates waiting to die on death row, they all had one thing in common besides their ultimate outcome. The one thing they had in common was this. A hundred percent of the men on death row hated their fathers and they had bad and abusive relationships with them. You see, as men, we do not need to be absent in the role that God has called us to. We need to faithfully, sacrificially, and lovingly lead. We get to verse 14 through verse 16, and we see Ezra brings the heads of the households to a passage that needed to be obeyed here in the immediate future. And so the heads of the household, these men, they heard it, they understood it, and then they sprang into action in order to prepare their families to celebrate what had become uh, to known as the Feast of Booths. You see, the Israelites had multiple festivals. They had the Passover, they had the Feast of Booths, and then they had the Feast of Weeks. Each of these festivals were designed to commemorate what God had done for them. They celebrated each of these festivals year after year after year. And so we find them at a point where they are celebrating the Feast of the Booths, and that is what is called for here. Now, Booths is a temporary structure, if you will, a temporary housing or a tent. And the purpose of this feast or festival was to reenact what God God had done for them at the exodus from Egypt and then again in the wilderness and upon their entry to the land of the, the promised land that God had given to them where they enjoyed the fruits of what God had given. And so this feast, if you will, was all about how God had sustained and provided for the people while they dwelt in these temporary houses. 
You see, they were sojourners through the wilderness, but yet it was God who provided for their daily need. And so this festival was designed to celebrate all that God had brought them through and how God had brought them into the promised land. This celebration was called for according to Leviticus chapter 23 uh, in verse 34. And so Nehemiah and Ezra saw an opportunity to celebrate a festival that reminded the people of how God had sustained them. And so what they see again in their day is as the Feast of Booths arrives, it is to remind the Israelites in Nehemiah and Ezra's day of how God had sustained them through the rebuilding of the wall. You see, it's natural for people to think on what God had done for them. But what's unnatural that we see in the Israelites is this, is that they were not only to think upon what God had done for them in their past, but they were to think on it in such a way in order to see what God can do today and what he is still doing now. You see, that's what this feast represented, a reminder of what God had done a reminder of who God is, and a reminder of what he is doing currently. You see, it is good for us as a church to reflect on the past. It's good as a church to celebrate our history. But the past in the church is just that. It's the past. But it serves as a reminder of what God has done. It is to serve as a reminder that what God did then, he can and will surely do today. You see, it was God who sustained Southside Baptist Church for well over 40 years now. And if God can do it then, then surely it is God who can sustain us for the next 50 years. In fact, it's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where we read this about Jesus Christ. We read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So what we can see when we read this passage is if Jesus worked then, then he is working now. And he will continue to work until the day of his return when we are all called to glory. You see, that's what the past reminds us of. It reminds us that God is still at work and that God is still moving. In verse 17, we see that the celebration begins. And it says of the celebration that it had not been celebrated like this since the days of Joshua. Now, what Nehemiah does here by invoking Joshua is to remind the people that just as Joshua had conquered the land through the power of God, so too with Nehemiah and Ezra do we see a new type of conquest of the people returning to their homeland and rebuilding by the power of God. To connect these two moments here was to remind the people of the magnificent intensity with which they lived for and served for and worked for under the glory of God, but also to remind them of God's blessing that was evident both in Joshua's conquest, but also in the rebuild that we see here in Nehemiah. So you see for us today, 
We need to, again, think upon the past at Southside. But when we think upon what it is, let it lead us to celebration. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the passion and the energy and the intensity with which former members lived before us because of the glory of God. And may we look with celebration on how the Lord blessed the work. You see, the reality is this. The church grows because of faithfulness. The church grows because of the obedience of people. The church grows because of the passion to serve, the passion to worship, the passion to teach, the passion to share with the lost. And then here's what happens when the people have the passion to faithfully serve God for the glory of God, then God will bless the work. We see it happen in uh, Joshua. We see it happen in Ezra and Nehemiah. We see it happen in the Gospels. And then we see it happen again in the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. And we currently see it today. You see, in looking to the past, this is not a simple time to celebrate the golden years or the best years as some churches in our country have stated. No, like the Israelites, we should look back to be reminded that God has blessed us then and he can and will continue to bless us now. We celebrate the past because of what God did and that should lead us to praise him for what he can currently do. So if we are to remember the past, may we remember it with joy because it was God who worked then and if God is working then, then he is definitely, assuredly working now. You see, we need to praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We need to praise God. Praise God for the wonderful work that he has done and the work that he continues to do. In verse 18, we see that the Israelites read and heard and understood the word daily, and it led them to worship according to the instruction of the word of God. In verse 18, we see the devotion of the people. They were devoted to worship. They were devoted to the word. You know, it's interesting because when you read this here in verse 18, you flip over to Acts chapter 2, particularly in verse 42, and one of the first things you read about the New Testament church is this, and they devoted themselves. Now, not too long ago, in our recent past, we just did a study through Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And one of the things that we kept coming back to was how the people of God in the church of God had devoted themselves. And we talked about the meaning of the word devoted, which is this. It meant that they passionate daily living for. In other words, the people of God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, devoted themselves, lived daily, and were designed and made to study the Word. They were devoted and passionately living for worship. They were devoted and passionate living for the church. You see, all these things, the Word, the worship, prayer, the church, sharing the gospel, it was a priority for the family because it was the way God designed the church from the beginning. 
You see, as a church, again, we need to look back to the past to be reminded of who we are. We need to look back to the past to be reminded of who God is and what he has done for us. But we need to look back to the past in order to understand what it is that God has called us to and to celebrate what it is he is going to call us to next. You see, the question for us is this. Do we, do we live with that same type of devotion? Is studying the word a priority for us or is studying the word an afterthought when we pray is prayer a priority or is prayer an afterthought when we're hoping for a miracle when we come to worship is it another thing that we do to check off our list or do we come prepared to see and experience what God will do You see, again, that is the reality of the church today. We don't simply gather just because. We gather because we come together to praise and worship God because we recognize that in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our madness, in the midst of our sin, it is God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who holds us all together. That is why we gather for worship. And God has called us to make public worship, to make the gathering, to make the church a priority. You see, when we gather for worship, are we prepared to see what God will do next? Do we reflect back over our history in order to be reminded of what he will do again because here's the reality of the church our past is good however our past is only good because it is God who is good if we are to remember may we remember what God has done and may we remember in anticipation of what God will do again so you see in Nehemiah chapter 8 We see God's word being made known. And again, if you go back to verses 1 through 12, you see it's being made known for God's good pleasure. Because remember, again, it is God who takes delight in his people. In this passage, we see the power of the word, but we also see how God, through the word, loves us. And so when we study the word, when we think upon our history as a church, may we celebrate the past But let's not get stuck in what was. Rather, let's focus on what is next. You see, we need to remember our history, but remember it with eagerness to see what else God will do. Now, the Bible does this for us. Throughout the Bible, whether you read from Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't matter where you start. The Bible is a reminder of all that God has done. The Bible serves as a reminder of what God is doing. And the Bible will help us remember to celebrate all that God will do next. 
So you see, when we celebrate the history of what God has done, may we remember and may it lead us to praise him with eager anticipation of what is coming. So let us as a church remember, let us as a church celebrate, may we prepare, and ultimately may we praise him for what is coming because God is doing a wonderful work in this place. Rest assured of this, in this rebuild, God has great days ahead. To God be the glory for what he will do. Let's pray together.